0: My name is Adam Corker, and I'm the founder and the CEO of the AB Corker Foundation for Mental Health. Welcome to our podcast series, Brain Goods, Mental Health Moments. Today's uh, podcast topic is on strategies to deal with and avoid depression, anxiety, domestic violence and addiction. It will be provided by Dr. John Lerman, MD he's a professor and chief of psychiatry at the medical college of wisconsin in milwaukee wisconsin dr lerman is also on the board of the ab corker foundation for mental health
1: thank you very much dr corker i really appreciate everybody joining us today to talk about mental health um it's the covid 19 pandemic i also really appreciate uh what the corker foundation uh, has done and what it's doing to help support people and uh, their well-being and their their mental health. Uh, so, so as as uh, Dr. Corker said, uh, I'm a professor and a psychiatrist at the Medical College of Wisconsin. It's a pleasure to be with you today. I apologize that uh, I'm not. I'm just holding my phone, so I apologize for the quality of the. Uh, of, of how all this is working, but I, I hope it'll work well enough for you. I'm gonna be talking to you about how to maintain mental health in the midst of the pandemic. And uh, just so you know, I lead a group of uh, psychiatrists and psychologists at the Medical College of Wisconsin that are very active in helping people with mental health conditions uh, and are staying very active. And we're, we've pivoted to doing all telemental mental health uh, for our outpatient care. I also work at the Milwaukee VA where I have a leadership role and we too are doing outpatient mental health. And with the COVID-19 pandemic, there's more mental health uh, challenges associated with this. And really is a tsunami of mental health challenges that are coming on the back end of the actual COVID-19 pandemic itself. So what what are the Challenges and what is the impact of, of COVID nineteen on behavioral health, mental health, and I'll use mental and behavioral health interchangeably. Uh, first of all, there's extremely high levels of stress, uh, and I'll talk a little bit about this uh, this afternoon. There's a sense of a lack of control, and uh, it it might have even seemed funny to people how everybody was running to get toilet paper and how we had a toilet paper shortage. But that was the response to people feeling this things are out of control. And one of the best ways of controlling things is taking care of ourselves. And believe it or not, psychologically, in our own development, one of the first things we learned to control is going through potty training. And so I wasn't surprised from a psychodynamic perspective that that's where people focused. Of course, we don't want to be caught with our pants down, uh, literally, so to speak, and be short of toilet paper at a time when... When, when there's um, shortages and and there's this huge crisis, and so um, there's no surprise from a psychological perspective that that's where people went. But that is a very stressful thing to lose control. Um, also, the social isolation that's been required to deal with COVID is not good psychologically. We're, we're people. Most of us need people. We all need people, but most of us do to a great extent. And so to actually be isolated and and it's very stressful and very hard on us. Um, obviously, unemployment. I mean, uh, people have been furloughed or people have lost their jobs. And and I think it's getting close to 25% of our country is on unemployment now. And, and um, that's very stressful. And we're facing the risk of that. Seeing that happening all around us is very stressful. Um, homeschooling. That's something where we're having to pivot to work from home to keep things safe, and then we're having to do homeschooling or ha- not have daycare. And to have to um, that brings about great levels of stress. Um, and then there's the, the, the actual stress of fear of getting this disease because it is life threatening. It's a, it's a real risk and, and it's a killer. It can kill people. Uh, and then fear of getting it and spreading it to our loved ones who could die from it. Those are tremendously stressful. Then there's the loss. I've heard of COVID-19 being called the, the uh, really, uh, the 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 pandemic of grief because of all the loss associated with it. There's there's the loss of life. There's the loss of jobs. There's the loss of us living the way we were living. Uh, loss of relationships, or at least the ability to connect with people the way we were previously. Uh, and then there's the loss of all the uh, celebrations that we would have the 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 loss of the uh, of sports the loss of things that we value in in our lives arts and sports uh, and then there's the loss of for for our kids if you can imagine for adolescents losing uh, a season of soccer uh, maybe it's your varsity season um, losing uh, you know various things that, that we value, uh, going to concerts. So, so, so there's just so much, so much loss associated with this. And, and how do we deal with it? With, uh, COVID-19, there's increased traumas. Um, post-traumatic stress disorder is an illness that I'll talk about in a little bit about it. It it has to be, has to be caused by a life-threatening situation. Well, that's what this is. This is a life-threatening situation. Um, stress can trigger and exacerbate anxiety disorders. So people who previously had anxiety disorders, all the stress around them is more likely to exacerbate that. Also depression, if you have a history of depression, all the loss is associated with increased depression, Um, increased addiction. Many, many people run to substances, including alcohol, to help distance themselves from the stress. Uh, It numbs things. Well, that leads to increased use sometimes, and increased use leads to increased addiction problems. Uh, we're seeing alcohol use greatly increased, I think 26% increase in sales of alcohol. And and opiate use is being increased too, as people try to distance themselves and cope and numb in these maladaptive ways. Um, we're seeing increased suicide rates. We always routinely do when there's a downturn in the economy. Well, this COVID-19 is being associated with a downturn in the economy. Uh, right now, for example, Australia, they've reported more suicide deaths than COVID deaths uh, this so far since the COVID epidemic started. So, so uh, their suicide rates are 50%. That is something I'm very worried about here in the United States. I think we're going to see a surge in suicide rates. We are starting to see that now, and uh, it's very concerning. And Then there's also increased rates of domestic violence as people are uh, forced to be home in in close uh, confines with their family. And if they're not coping well, if they're not dealing with stress well, they're more likely to uh, struggle with angry outbursts as their tempers flare. And so that's something we have to watch for. Some of the tips for coping with COVID-19, I want to cover some of them. First of all, we need to try to keep to a daily routine. Get up. At the same time, every morning, take care of yourself. You shower, brush your teeth, do the things that you normally have done. Um, that helps you feel more in control. That helps you uh, feel better and decreases anxiety. We need to be careful. A lot of people, when 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 they're home more and doing this, um, they watch TV more. And as you watch the news more, that is anxiety provoking. And so so um, it can it can really uh, pile on. When September 11th occurred, there were a lot of people who were struggling because they kept watching the towers go down again and again. Well, if you keep watching the news and keep seeing the death rates going up and up every day, multiple times a day, that is very stressful and, and is not a healthy thing to do. Uh, maybe watching the news once a day is, is reasonable, but you've got to be careful of that. Um, we need to follow our sleep hygiene rules. What are those? Those are uh, sticking with a sleep routine going to bed at the same time every night. Many people during this pandemic are staying up much later and then then sleeping in and getting their whole sleep cycle off, and that really disrupts things. Um, you know, if you can't sleep, get up and do something uh, that's productive and then go back to sleep when you're tired, but still get up at the same time in the morning. Try not to take naps. Watch out for caffeine use and alcohol use in the evenings. Even though alcohol makes you sleepy, it also... Uh, really disrupts your sleep, decreases your dreaming time, your REM sleep, and uh, makes you much more less restless. And, and it's not a good sleep. And caffeine keeps you up. So you've got to really watch out about those. Regular exercise is important for your health in so many ways. Dr. Corker really talks about this and emphasizes this. Um, but it's also important for your sleep. If you exercise daily, and that can be a long walk uh, or or even doing exercise or exercise routine in your, in your, uh, condominium, in your home. Um, but you need to do regular exercise. It's really important. You need to stay connected with your friends and loved ones. Use your, uh, telecommunications and social media to stay connected. Um, but you gotta be careful of not getting too caught up in that where you're doing that all the time, because you need to also have in-person connections with your family and closest relatives that you're living with. Um, you need, to do self and home improvements, uh, that's something that's really been valuable. I, I know a lot of people have, uh, you know, redone their kitchen during this time when they're, when they're on a furlough. Or um, I, one person I know is, is taking a special course to get certified in uh, conflict uh, resolution and negotiation to improve his his business skills. So, so I think uh, we should all be thinking about this and taking an opportunity to personally grow from this if you can. Um, and that and that's uh, a good way to cope with this. Take advantage of the opportunity to be with your family more, but find ways to spend quality time together. And and that's challenging, but but it can be worthwhile. Of course, we need to try to stick with a healthy diet. I mentioned it already, but watch your alcohol intake. We're we're going to be more prone to using it more um, because of the stress. Do not. Uh, well, I already talked about not watching too much news. Process your feelings with your friends and your loved ones. Um, but there is help out there, too. Uh, for work, you can go to your employee assistance program if you need help. Uh, but, but you can also seek help through telemental mental health. Our, our uh, mental health care providers are very active in giving this. This has not been shut down, and you can get it in the safety of your own home now. In fact, uh, Center for Medicaid Medicare, it, and Medicare and the federal government has approved full reimbursement for telemental health just as if you went in person. So what I'm saying is that it's something that's covered by insurance. So it's 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 a reasonable way to get it. I've given I've I provided telemental health years ago at the, in the VA system and it's very effective. With all the losses that are occurring with this, the actual losses, the loved ones, the jobs, the, the celebrations, the varsity soccer season, um, there's also perceived losses, loss of freedom because you just can't go out and do the things that you were doing, loss of community. Um, but there's also anticipated losses. Many of us uh, took a big hit in our retirement fund that we may not be able to retire early and we may lose our retirement plans. Um, so, so so, we're anticipating that. And and so, so those are all very hard on us. These are just the five stages of grief. When you have losses, we all go through grief. And, and the first Uh, stage of grief is denial. Second is anger. Third is bargaining, where we're trying to deal with God or or even the world around us. Uh, Next is depression. So we do go through a phase of some depression. It's not the full clinical depression I'll talk about in a minute, but you feel depressed and down. And then finally, we get to acceptance. Um, When we lose a loved one, it can take uh, six months or a year to really work through these symptoms, uh, these, these phases, these phases, uh, productively. Um, and, and, it doesn't mean you'll, you'll ever get past missing your loved one, but you will be able to move forward and not get stuck. And, 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 uh, and you'll get to more of a level of, of acceptance where you remember the great times you had with your loved one. Um, but we go through this grief with all of our losses. And so, we're going through a lot of grief right now, all of us are, and so it's something to pay attention to, but we need to work through these feelings with our friends and loved ones. The physical symptoms of grief uh, include fatigue, nausea, trouble breathing, trouble sleeping, and physical pain. To work through grief, it, it really you need to give yourself time. You need support from your loved ones and your friends. You need to have somebody who says, I understand, or that must really be challenging for you and is willing to listen to how how it feels, how you're feeling, how angry you are, you know, Um, how sad you are. Be kind to yourself during this, you know, expectations, don't have the highest expectations for yourself as you're working through grief. Honor your loss, and there's different ways to honor your loss, um, and acknowledge the pain that you have, and it's okay to talk about that. Um, it's helpful to engage in activities that bring you peace. Uh, maybe that's engaging in nature. Maybe that's gardening. Maybe that's, uh, for everybody it's different. Um, you need to develop a personal way to memorialize your, your loved one. Um, and, and there's lots of ways to do that. Focus on your own healing, um, and reach out to those who have had similar experiences. You're not alone. Just about everybody, you know, has lost a loved one, uh, previously in their life, but but right now, most of us have been touched already by losing somebody we know from COVID-19. There are barriers to working through grief. I mean, if you're drinking too much, you're not going to go through those feelings, and that's going to slow the grief process down. Um, You you need to give yourself time. Uh, One of the barriers is not being able to have funerals, so we can't socially support each other as much. So if you know somebody who's lost a loved one, Reach out to them in other ways to support them. You can't in person, perhaps, but you certainly can in other ways to connect with them and offer your support. That's what they need. Um, And then social isolation is a barrier as well. So when should someone get help if they're getting uh, complicated grief or getting stuck in the grief process? When they start to have excessive guilt about the loss of their loved one, then they need help. Uh, If they start to think that they would have been better off dead themselves or that they should have died instead of the loved one. Um, If they're starting to have difficulty trusting others, if they can't perform their normal activities, then they need help. So one of the things that complicated grief can lead to is major depressive disorder. And I'm going to real quickly go through the symptoms so that you can recognize them. Um, the illness itself has a lifetime prevalence of about 15%. It's twice as common in women than men. If you have a family history of it, you're more likely to get this illness. Um, the mean age for this illness is 40, but that's deceiving because it means it can occur anytime during your life. It occurs oftentimes in adolescence and uh, childhood, but also it's very common late in life. There's an increased occurrence of major depression when we've had a major loss in our lives. It, but it occurs in all socioeconomic classes and races. For this illness, which is a horrible illness, and this illness by itself causes more suffering in our world than any other illness, including cancer, Um, untreated, it can last 6 to 12 months. Treated, it can often, we can get it to resolve within two months. The risk for reoccurrence is about 40% within two years after the resolution of the first time that somebody has it, but about 85% of people who have had major depression will have a recurrence sometime later in their life. So oftentimes it does recur. These are the symptoms. Major depression involves a change in sleep pattern. So usually it's decreased sleep, early morning awakening, but it can be increased sleep. A change in appetite, usually it's decreased appetite, but it could rarely be an increased appetite. Decreased energy. Suicidal ideation, about 2 thirds of people while they're in the midst of a major depression will consider suicide. About 10% of people with the diagnosis of major depression sometime in their lifetime will die from suicide. Uh, anhedonia is a, is a word that means inability to enjoy things, includes a decreased sex drive and just inability to enjoy things that, once, that one once enjoyed, uh, decreased concentration and memory, decreased mood or depressed mood, feelings of worthlessness, helplessness, excessive guilt, irritability, tearfulness. Sometimes somebody can have hallucinations or delusions and become psychotic. If somebody has five or more of these symptoms ongoing day after day for two weeks or more, they meet the criteria for major depression and they need treatment. So when somebody's grieving, you'll have some of these symptoms on and off day to day, but not every day, all day, you know, two weeks in a row. So that's the difference. If it starts to become so, they're so... Uh, embedded and you can't get out of them and it's day after day, moment after moment, then then you need help. Some things to watch for in a loved one who might be experiencing this or a co-worker, if they start isolating, if they're always tearful, if they aren't doing the things that they used to do, if there's less productivity, increases in errors, they're falling asleep, then something might be wrong. Now talk about alcohol use disorder, that's something that's very common in Wisconsin. Prevalence for this illness is about 10% of us sometime in our lifetime will have an alcohol use disorder problem. It has equal prevalence between males and females. The age of onset can be any time in life, but usually it's uh, after teens and, and late life. Um, no racial difference in, in uh, prevalence. Uh, what happens with alcohol use disorder is uh, people are drinking, they start to drink more, then they have a problem. Maybe they uh, have a, a, a DUI, uh, driving under the influence charge, or they lose a job because they're drinking. But yet they keep drinking heavily. That's when it's clearly a problem. That's how we diagnose it. Um, and, and what happens is they start to use more and more and, and use higher potency products. Uh, um, and, and that is kind of a gradual increase, and that develops a physical dependence. They develop a physical dependence on alcohol, where if they're not drinking it every day, they start to go through withdrawal symptoms. And uh, that can involve tremors and, and sweating and uh, feeling irritable uh, and, and also can lead to elevated pulse and blood pressure and temperature. Um, they also develop psychological dependence, and, and that's the inability to psychologically stop or cut back. Um, and so if they can't cut back, that's that's not a good sign. If you yourself can't cut back, you need to pay attention to this. Um, Withdrawal symptoms can get really severe and lead to uh, delirium tremens and seizure. Uh, Delirium tremens is a severe form and it could lead to death, uh, untreated. Alcohol use disorders can be lifelong disorders. Often recurrent exacerbations occur. They they can be life-threatening, as I said, uh, and they have negative Alcohol has a negative physical effect on every organ system in the body. It it affects the brain and can cause dementia. It causes ulcer disease in the stomach. It causes muscle wasting. It causes liver inflammation. It can cause cardiomyopathies or heart uh, arrhythmias. So it's really a toxic drug uh, when overused consistently. Um, what, What you look for, for somebody who's a coworker or a family member, Change in productivity, slurred speech, smelling alcohol in their breath, decreased coordination, irritability, drinking in the morning, volatility, uh, isolating, and poor attendance. There's a 10 time 10%. There's a 10% lifetime suicide risk with alcohol uh, dependence as well. Other addictions we've got to watch for too: opioid use disorder. Believe it or not, in our state, the last several years we've had approximately 800 deaths a year from accidental overdoses. On opiates. Did you hear me? 800 deaths. We've only had just crossed 500 deaths with COVID. We're, 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 we have more deaths than what we've had with COVID in Wisconsin each year from opiate overdose deaths. And that's something that's kind of getting forgotten in the background. We've got to be, keep our mind, our eyes open for this. We've got to encourage these people to get help. Um, there's, there's stimulant use disorder, sedative use, THC, we've, any of these drugs can, can have negative effects. Uh, when overused. Um, we need, again, things to look for, change in productivity, slurred speech, decreased coordination, irritability, isolating, poor attendance, similar presentations. Post-traumatic stress disorder. I mentioned that that this is an anxiety disorder that can occur when people have life-threatening uh, uh, stressors, and certainly COVID-19 can be a life-threatening stressor. So uh, lifetime prevalence for PTSD pre-COVID was about 4% for men and almost 10% for women. Much of the increase for women is due to sexual trauma, unfortunately. Uh, Mean age is early 20s, but it can occur at any age. It occurs in all races. Uh, Somebody needs to be exposed to a potentially threatening, -threatening, life-threatening situation. The symptoms of PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, are three different classes of symptoms. One are the reliving symptoms, which is nightmares. Uh, the trauma, recurrent intrusive thoughts of the trauma, and flashbacks. Um, Also, there's avoidance symptoms, which uh, include emotional numbing, avoidance of things that remind somebody of the trauma, uh, dissociation, avoidance of talking about the trauma, or issues around it. Um, There's also hyperarousal symptoms. These are the ones people oftentimes think about with PTSD. Hypervigilance, increased startle reflex, uh, people being on edge, decreased sleep, anxiety, irritability. Um, PTSD can certainly affect relationships. People pull back. Um, and uh, some some of the things that you look for, maybe the hypervigilance, the increased anxiety, people are really keyed up. Um, and that can lead to decreased productivity and so forth. Other anxiety disorders besides PTSD, there's panic disorder uh, with or without agoraphobia. Agoraphobia is the uh, uh, fear of, of being uh, caught in, in in closed places or or uh, where you can't get away. Uh, it can even be in a public situation where you can't get away. Um, there's generalized anxiety disorder. There's simple phobias. There's OCD. Certainly uh, COVID-19, with all the focus on staying uh, clean and keeping things uh, clean, can really exacerbate somebody's obsessive compulsive disorder as well. What you need to hear is that all mental illnesses are treatable and we do have effective treatments for most mental health conditions. Uh, and, 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 for the illnesses I talked about, PTSD, depression, uh, alcohol use disorder, we have effective treatments, uh, and somebody can get help. And, And the most common common, most common treatment is a combination of medication and some kind of psychotherapy, supportive therapy kind of, uh, uh, treatment. And so, um, we can really make a difference if people come and get help. Uh, and and one of the things we need to do is get past stigma because that's still a barrier that gets in the way of people getting in to get help. This this has been a, a great opportunity. I appreciate the audience's great interaction and great questions. Again, I'm sorry. I apologize for the quality of my ability to interact with you over my phone. Um, So I apologize for that. I thank you all for for participating and thinking about improving mental health. I thank Dr. Corker and his foundation for doing this great work.
0: Thank you, Dr. Lerman, for this extremely valuable and helpful information. And I appreciate uh, all of your advice, and I look forward to seeing you on future events. Thank you everyone for joining us on this podcast. I hope that you've enjoyed it. Go to abkf.org and support us so we can continue on with our mission. Thank you again.